there's a problem with freedom in the world. There's a problem with energy in the world. And we got yeah. plenty of both. And we're going to yeah. be exporting those around the world. Okay, don't make it. Now I'm making it seem like we're exporting democracy. Not that part. Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on your radio dial and right there on your podcast app. You can check out all the past shows and archives over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. We've been going strong since January 2020, folks. It's been a, a long journey. Uh, we sure have. Very happy to have you guys here. This is episode 116. I'm Yael Ososki coming to you from the home studio and uh, talking, chatting, Catching up with my radio co-host, David Clement, in Toronto. David, how goes it? It's going. It's going. I'm packing and preparing for our trip. We will be recording Consumer Choice Radio from the Arabian Peninsula next week. All uh, right. we got to be a bit more clear. We won't be hanging out. Uh, we're, not, in, uh, we're not going to be in Yemen. We'll be Riyadh in, uh, or anything yeah, like this. We'll, yeah, we'll <laughs> be in, uh, in Dubai, um, which will be my first time there. Um, very excited. It seems like a unique and dare I say strange place. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to check that out. Um, see the city. I got some night golf booked for all the golfers who are listening. Um, I can feel your jealousy. Um, that is, that is one of the most Instagrammable, uh, golf experiences you can do. Uh, the background there for listeners is there's a, um, a very good course that actually um, lights up the entire 18 holes that they have, um, so you can play at night. So I will tee off at six, six twenty-five or so, and you play in the evening, um, which is probably necessary at certain points of the year in Dubai because golfing in 40 degrees is is not. Um, that's probably not good for you, but. Um, yeah, so very excited. It's going to be a good trip. Get the gang back together. And uh, it's, um, you know, just feels good to to possibly be traveling again. And things are open here. And it kind of feels like life is getting back to normal. And uh, got to love that. Don't jinx it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. Knock yeah, on so... Wood. So we'll be uh, live in person next week uh, coming out of Dubai, and we'll be getting it to the radio towers and the podcast feeds as normal. Nice to be able to do that. If you're over there on the podcast, uh, we do have a podcasting 2.0 program. If you have found value from our conversations, from our interviews, of which there have been many, uh, please feel free to leave the value that you've gotten from that in the form of uh, little Satoshis, uh, little Bitcoins, you can do that through an app like Fountain or Breeze, uh, all other types uh, that you can enjoy. It's part of the technology revolution, uh, but uh, probably as, as David thinks, uh, this is just me yawning and yawning and going on and on again, right? Putin is bad, very, very, very bad, but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. Yes, as always. <laughs> Bill I had, to, I had to play that one. I think oh, it was interesting. Uh, so yeah, David, yeah, let's uh, let's go yeah. through a couple of things uh, that have passed that have passed in the news that have happened. I do have some clips that are lined up uh, that I've gotten um, from the week. I figured we'd start. We do a good intersection because with this program, you know, at at the moment I'm in the EU. You're in Canada. We have colleagues in the U.S. We're kind of all over. 
figured I'd, I'd do an international clip. Uh, it's already making the rounds, and you probably saw it, but uh, this is uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, getting roasted in the European Parliament, uh, a place where you might be very yes. soon. So let's, uh, let's play this. It would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a Prime Minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. Oh, boy. So this is a... Uh... It's the right-wing uh, German Oof. party, the IFD. I think it's Deutschland. Um, I don't know why they're so invested in Canadian politics. My guess is just the uh, everything with the trucker protest. They, they follow that intently, and uh, anything uh, that the poster boy for global liberalism uh, does, uh, not big fans of. Well, yeah, I mean, Trudeau's not a dictator, and... Like some of the language is a, a little overblown. Are you sure, David? But this, are, you, are you okay there? Man, are you, man. Take off the but handcuffs. But at the same time, blink twice. Yeah, <laughs> blink twice if if you're being held captive. But at the same time, it it is rich, and it goes back to when we talked about that program in India, where they were ripping on Trudeau and basically calling him a hypocrite for attempting to be the white knight of global democracy and civil rights while at the same time um, invoking what they see as extraordinary measures to try and um, tamp down a, a protest in Ottawa. And so, I mean, part of the whole shtick when Trudeau first came in was like, oh, Canada is back, like back on the world stage. We're going to be respected again. I don't think that that's the case. And I mean, these are, there are two MEPs who were criticizing him, one of whom was Croatian, who's an independent. I know very little about him, but um, I, I generally he's a, think he's a, that this. He's a great resetter, if that tells you anything. Ah, okay. So he's a little wonky. Um, I don't think that he's very much respected on the other side either. Um, I just don't. I, I think that they kind of see beyond they see behind the curtain <laughs> and they're like, oh, there may might not really be that much to this guy. Um, a lot of fluff, a lot of fluff. And it's I mean, whether the comments are accurate or not, it is interesting to see he's addressing EU Parliament and getting roasted. And there is applause for the roasting. Um, so it's, it's not yeah, a good it's a look. Faction. Uh, yeah, it's not a good look. Um, it's not like some crazy MEP got up to the mic and started blasting them and everyone sat there awkwardly. Um, yeah, I, I also but that's kind of how it works. Like, uh, it's very strange, you know, it'd be as if we had, you know, a, a foreign dignitary, a foreign leader who would, you know, be in the 
Congress or the House of Commons, and then you just have like the individual members just sitting there having their own turn to roast them. Uh, at least in the U.S., it doesn't happen. I think, I think in Canada, it doesn't it happen happened here. In the past, but it was uh, like during I mean, the uh, Zelensky thing, they at least were they had some individual comments. But I don't know if he was still listening or probably not. He had other stuff to do. Yeah, he was busy fighting a war. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, yeah. I can't and, say that I've seen a scenario where a foreign dignitary has addressed Parliament and taken negative feedback that just feels feels very un-canadian to me very impolite to roast your guest um yeah, but, <laughs> roast yeah. Your, he just walked in the door didn't even take off his shoes and you're already roasting him uh so that yeah. it's, yeah, it's it more is... of a particular thing of the european parliament so i would not uh put any you know put yeah. any stock in that so, there's like something like seven or eight hundred of these guys so but a rowdy bunch. do you does it kind of leave you wondering why? Like, what was the why was he addressing the EU? Like, his team said, "Hey, we would like to address the EU," and they said, "Okay." But then it's like, why? Like, what I is mean, he? Why does Tom Cruise do cameos in any movie? You know, it's, it's the same question. Screen time. <laughs> exactly. Like he just wants screen time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but what a pathetic reason. <laughs> What a pathetic reason to to like open yourself up to criticism from people who don't even know you. Like it's so weird. It, like did he? I don't know. It it just seems like it's terribly miscalculated. Where it's like, well, oh yeah, thing, I'm gonna one go. One thing give... that's for certain. Yeah, I think it's calculated in this way. He's trying to be there at the same time as uh, our dear American president Biden. <laughs> so um joe biden is in europe as well uh he's in brussels on friday yeah. uh apparently making the the streets pretty busy and he's actually going to go there and i'm actually all behind uh our dear president joe biden for this he's up there hawking american gas so he's talking about liquefied natural gas and exports to europe so i love that yeah good guy joe I actually, I'm, 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 I'm uh, although I, I, I feel watch like yourself. there should be an, watch yourself. There, there should be an age limit on, on how old a president can be. Um, and I would say there, there should probably be an age limit on members of Congress, Congress as well. Um, I actually feel comfortable that, that Joe has the right team together um, rumors were flying that they've already started to draft scenarios in regards to what to do if Russia uses chemical weapons, if they use small nuclear arms, if if or when the conflict um, possibly moves into Poland. So I, I I like it. I think that, I mean, you've certainly heard me be very critical of President Biden, but it feels so as I understand, though I understand your point. Yeah. It's yeah. A little better. Can I put, can I maybe uh, put a dower on your point real quick? Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's listen to a um, little, little clip uh, put together of uh, one of Joe Biden's team. As, as we all know, elections oh, matter. And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. 
Every day it is time for us to agree. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. It is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. We've been to the border. Uh, you haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't know. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be, but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges. We have the ability to see what can be, unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. What is at stake at this very moment? What is at stake Who's... this very moment? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't who know is... how long I was going to push this on. Who, who, who is writing Kamala Harris's speeches? Fire that person now. Well, this um, is the whole point. This is her going outside of the speeches, showing that she's not even able to worse. Speak. Anxious, yeah. no, she, she just can't speak off the cuff. Just doesn't happen. Even worse. And, and uh, I mean, let's be serious here. She broke an incredible glass ceiling. For all intents and purposes, she should be the next um, Democratic candidate for president, whenever that is. Good Lord. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, policy-wise, that bothers me quite a bit. But if you are essentially the president-in-waiting, it's time to get to work. It it is time to It's time to like, do the work. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but serious. I mean, you you have broken this glass ceiling. You by you are considered by many to be the the future flag bearer for the party and you just come across as incredibly unprepared and not serious. It, these are ser these are Sarah, Sarah Palin vibes. And that's a problem. Mm, and these are serious times. Uh, much more to come here. We'll talk about some policy issues, uh, good things infecting you as a consumer, and uh, much more to come here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned to that dial. We'll be right back after this. Continue listening. Also check out the past interviews, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, before the break, I was I was explaining how Kamala Harris's words, um, or word salads, if you want to put them that way, they give me real Sarah Palin vibes, and that's a not a compliment. Um, and it's just so unbecoming when. You know that she's a serious person. You know that she could be the the next Democratic candidate for president. And she just seems lost when going off the book or off script. And 
I mean, that that bothers me. I mean, how if we think of a future presidential election, so let's say Joe decides that he's not going to run again. We don't know if that'll happen. Do you think that she would be able to hold her own against Ron DeSantis? It's a strange world. Whom? No. Despite, I mean, he has a lot of flaws, and we've criticized him for that, but he is on point all the time. Or even Nikki Haley. It it just feels like um, she's going to squander a a pretty remarkable moment when she when or if she does one day sit at the top of the ticket. And if you're a Democrat, that has to have you very worried. Oh, that's why. That's why I don't think it'll be her. Um, I think they'll she'll get some other position, you know, some prestigious thing, head of some college. Uh, She's she knows she's going to get roasted. I think most of the D's in the country know that she's going to get roasted. She's not likable to many people. And her ideas are bonkers. And, you know, we, could, we say that because we've followed her, but if you are paying attention now, you have no idea what her ideas are. No. Because she does change them often enough, and there's not really any grounding. And, you know, is she helping out the president and getting his agenda passed? I don't think so. And every news story you read, you know, at least from up in D.C., is just you know, the, the, the actual calamity that is her administration or her staffers and people rising mm-hmm. up and quitting and people saying that she's, like, just an evil boss. And there's all kinds of this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because, yes, uh, whatever glass ceiling moment and everything else. But, you know, we should be able to, to call people out when they're just not good enough for the job. And, yeah, uh, and, gotta get some I other mean, so in there. so here's a question for you: If it's not her, then who is next for the Dems? Well, we're f- preferable to market Dems. Not that we yes. are going to be deciding anything. No. Uh, so any market Dem, any Democrat who understand, well, I think I would see in the next couple of months a pro-energy Democrat. Someone who mm-hmm. understands, you know, who can, who can play with the environmentalists, you know, who'll go to their picnics, but at the same time can say, look, there's a problem with freedom in the world, there's a problem with energy in the world, and we got yeah. plenty of both, and we're going to yep. be exporting those around the world. Okay, don't make it, now I'm making it seem like we're exporting democracy, not that part, but no. <laughs> getting energy onto the markets, you know, from yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the largest energy producer in the world, it's a shame that we are not doing this to a bigger extent. It's a shame for my portfolio, uh, which never took <laughs> off. It's a shame for for I particularly, I mean, it's Ukraine and most of Europe. And uh, we, we've talked about the energy politics before. And um, you know, thankfully, we're uh, away from the winter. Uh, it's it kind of a brutal winter in Europe, and you know, a lot of gas, natural gas, being used from Russia and all these pipelines in Germany. You know, perhaps now there'll be more of a, a move, but infrastructure takes a long time to build. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation we're having in regards to Canadian liquefied natural gas and what needs to be spent in order to be able to ship it off the coast of Newfoundland to Europe. I'd but love the, to see uh, the one part real quick on that. I this is this is the major thing is there is there an about face? Is there an apology from people who've stopped these energy projects? You know, is no. is Biden being reamed over raked over the coals because he basically nixed a Keystone Pipeline. Is there, in Canada, or are they all the premiers and Trudeau and all these, are they getting just slammed for stopping development of energy? 
or not, not at all. Re- I mean, they are by the opposition, but I wouldn't say they are in in the media per se. That's not a common um, trope. And and they and they appear to be holding course in regards to climate policy. I mean, the conservatives put together a motion that would have cut the GST on ta- on gas. Um, so it would have been like a f- instant five percent reduction or something like that, and the liberals voted it down. And I mean, uh, very early on in this conflict weeks ago, when we knew that gas prices were going to soar, I think they're at a dollar seventy five a liter right now where I am. Um, it was like that. Well, that was that's an easy solution in these uncertain times to alleviate some of the pressure. Um, so not only did they vote that down, but the carbon tax goes up. I forget by how much, but it goes up at the end of the month. And so they're just continuing to plot along this course. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see dollar ninety or almost two dollars a liter um, if this really progresses and 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 gets worse in terms of gas um, or in terms of oil prices and availability and things like that. That's per liter, folks. So you Americans, you multiply by four, and that's what you got up north. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Bad time for me to buy an SUV. Woof. There you go. Well, you know, getting out. Now you got to go out to the burbs. Uh, Yeah. I think I I would love to have on in the next couple of weeks uh, some kind of an expert on particularly these carbon taxes once they're implemented. Uh, mm-hmm. So it would be great to go to you know a couple jurisdictions where it's been up and running for a while. It seems like Australia would have something like this. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so any kind of expert that can discuss this and just say, hey, look, is this working? Is it doing everything that they claim? Or is it just making people poor and making energy much more expensive? Because that's how it really looks like it's working well, out. And this is the thing. Is, and I've had this debate on Twitter with some people it's like in Canada you get a rebate so you get money back um in regards to the carbon tax but you get it back at tax time and so you, you, you get it back as an individual you mean correct yeah um so it's supposed to be revenue neutral and you get the money you get most of or all of the money back in theory but i don't um, understand are you having to submit your climate costs every year like why are, no, what if you're a huge I, polluter or is it just I, anti-company is that well it? on the, on the individual level it's it i i think it's it's just excuse me assumed um and you have some sort of rebate and most people end up getting back what they ended up paying in the tax but that is a people a lot of people especially liberal partisans on twitter forget that you depart with that money and you do not see it until the following year's tax time and so you're essentially writing a check for like 3 4 500 dollars to the federal government to possibly get most or some of that back in a year for me, I mean, that's not going to break my back. But if you're low income, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that makes a huge difference um, in your day-to-day life, especially in the context of rising fuel costs and, and food costs and pretty much everything. Um, and so, I mean, I would much prefer if we're going to go the route of a carbon tax, um, then you have to... You ha- I think you have to provide immediate relief for people, and my suggestion on that would just be 
to increase the basic personal exemption um, on the income tax, bring it up from 11000 to 20000 so you, you don't start paying federal income taxes until you make twenty grand or more. Because, I mean, you can, that's a sellable policy because I don't really enjoy the fact that poor people are paying taxes as well. Um, Tax them. Uh, yeah, well, so this, eh. all this stuff is, I think, I, I know many people might be listening and think that we're just kind of out there and discussing this and no one's talking about carbon taxes right now. Well, th- this is something that, you know, might not be on the front page of the papers, but many companies are now being forced to declare their so-called climate costs. Uh, we see that specifically in the U.S., the Securities and Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, uh, who's the head of that, he came out and said the, the SEC will now require publicly listed companies to list their climate cost. And this is in line with the environmental social governance yeah. information. And I see this as probably one of, the, it's hard to say that it's anti-consumer, but I'm going to say it's anti-consumer. Because what is this going to do? It's going to make it so that we're going to allow the government, particularly any of these financial institutions, to now tack on additional costs, all this reporting. I see it as nothing more than a boon to all of the large consultants who are going to be hired to do these studies at these companies. All these companies are going to have to raise costs. It's going to make you have to pay more for whatever product that is. And is this really making the environment better? Are we really furthering innovation? Or are we just introducing new bureaucracy that will do absolutely nothing but create new jobs in the bureaucracy? Well, yeah, and that's certainly what it feels like. And I can only assume that there will be all sorts of loopholes and exemptions added into it. And I can only say that in regards to like how the carbon tax is applied here. So an example would be the steel industry is like 90% exempt on yeah. their emissions. And so it's like, wait a second, you're going to ding the grocery store clerk who drives to work and has to fill up their their tank of gas, but you're going to you're going to give the steel industry a 90% pass on their emissions and it's like, wait a second. If anything, we probably have this the wrong way around. If anything, you should probably be giving uh, consumers, especially low-income income consumers, a pass, and actually targeting the people whom are polluting. But I mean, as with how this is written, it's it's so silly. So I can only assume that on the U.S. side, it's it's probably going to be the same. There's going to be a lot of nonsense of like, oh well, we we offset with this and we did that, and it's like. I mean, well, it's going to be, you're going to go invest in a stock or your stockbroker is going to go sit down and look at the thing. And every company, you know, they're on the stock exchange, there will be a section called the climate change disclosure <laughs> where you'll click and you'll see, gee, how much is Kellogg's, you know, or, or whatever, or Nestle, you know, whatever it is. What is their impact on climate change? And what are they doing for environmental social governance? This is a, a mentality, and I, I hate to dip into this, David. This is a, a bit of kind of what the great resetters are, are on about. and on about. Uh, so they're not wrong here. Uh, I don't think it's a one-world government thing. I think it's just, you know, elite, milieu, talk, and yeah, a lot of people who have an answer in these climate disclosures that companies are now going to have to do. And there's, you know, there's a, 
what we call a cottage industry that's just ready to serve that. And yeah. maybe it's time for, you know, Yael Osaski, David Clement Consulting uh, to put together our own climate change, you know, disc- uh, disclosure process. And we're ready and willing. Uh, if any major corporation has any doubts as to whether or not you're green, uh, we're on the case, folks. That sounds like, that sounds like a, a viable business and a lucrative one. Um, I mean, oh my and God, then there's, of course. <laughs> and then, so if we also think about ESG, the S part, the the social responsibility part. So what are we doing for companies who manufacture or do business in China? How is that exempt from the S part of ESG? Right? Because it's not supposed to be just environment. It's supposed to be a whole bunch of other factors. And it's like, okay, so are we going to start dinging the NBA because they won't say anything about the reality of the Uyghurs or like, how do we, it becomes so incredibly convoluted. And then there are these clear gaps where you're like, wait a second, what about what's going on over there? Oh yeah, we don't talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's always going to be subjective. And, you know, maybe right now, I mean, the, the Republicans will swallow this at the end. There will be people who will hold on for dear life. Uh, but I think some of them will swallow it, and you know, then it'll just be their people who are exempt <laughs> from, yeah. from any of this stuff. Yeah, they'll and they'll get their carve outs. Yeah, they'll get their carve outs, and then it just the whole thing feels like we came up with a concept that's very well intentioned, but we have no idea how to actually apply it in a way that's consistent or even remotely effective. But geez, David, that sounds like every single consumer regulation ever introduced. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Much why we have that. a job. <laughs> That's very true. We, we keep on keeping on. Consumer Choice Radio, folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America and right there on your podcast app. Uh, David, we were uh, chatting up a little bit about ESGs. I think we're going to be talking about that a lot more over the next couple of months. So this is going to be very, very important uh, for consumers as well. You're going to be seeing this tagline everywhere. And essentially, as we're facing inflation, as we're facing you know higher costs due to supply chain crises and everything else that's happening, uh, we're going to go ahead and tack on an ESG tax. You know, essentially, uh, you talked about the carbon taxes in Canada and what the impact has been. Uh, we're going to see a lot more there. But yeah, it's... Uh, the energy space, uh, very interesting. Hopefully we can get out that uh, Canadian and American energy. We can change the world. This is something that I think all of us should be united behind because that's you know, we don't need to talk about what's happening in Ukraine because we know exactly what's happening and why it's happening. And if we can get more of our energy out of the ground, into pipelines, on ships, on boats, I think uh, that will bode much better for the future of peace Yes, and uh, tranquility in Europe. Yeah, yeah. On a, on another note, um, I'm sure you follow the Babylon Bee. Do you? Indeed, I do. Yeah. So it's a satire website. Um, it spawned a variety of other satire websites, like the Beaverton, which is a, a, a kind of satire news for for Canada. They were kicked. I think the origin. You could say like the origin of the satire news is like the Onion. Yes, correct. And then Babylon B is like the Christian right-wing version. Correct. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, that, I think that that's accurate. They they have some funny stuff. They they were booted off of Twitter and locked out, and it looks like that might stand. And a lot of people are uh, a lot of people are rattled about it. It's uh, quite a conversation on the Twitter sphere. Yeah, the Babylon Bee has always been really interesting. I know there's a couple of my friends who I know listen to this podcast. Every time I send them a link, uh, there's no chuckle <laughs> yeah. from their side. I think they're they're just uh, a bit too bought in on the other side. <sighs> that they don't think it's funny. I think some things are, are very hit and miss. Some things I, I don't get because it's uh, sort of uh, inner Christian humor. Uh, but yeah. generally, it's, it's pretty good. I think the running joke always is, you know, someone is a jailer. And it's always like some variation of Hillary Clinton who's there to, to make sure someone stays alive. Uh, there's, there's a lot of great stuff, but, you know, it, it's the social media question of our age. And that is, which accounts get to stay up? Which ones are suspended? Who gets blocked? Yeah. And it's something that our our system now expects when someone goes off the rails that somebody has got to be suspended or blocked uh, there are attempts to do that to government officials. There are attempts to do that to private people. And I don't know what it's like at the internal you know, meetings of these social media companies, uh, but I would only assume that there's a lot of fights that happen there too. You know, yeah. that, hey, we should, we should suspend this tweet or this site or this tweet or this page. I just, the problem is that we've gone into content moderation and it's, it's, a, it's very difficult. You have to set clear rules and... Oftentimes, things are going to go above or below it. Yeah, and it, it, the thing that bothers me the most is that it opens the door for really bad right-wing arguments to regulate social media because they, they think that they're being treated unfair. And they just pointed various aspects of hypocrisy, like Ahmadinejad, I think I pronounced that right, the former um, Iranian leader, is on Twitter, rather active. Um did some very Meanwhile, bad... his own population can't get on Twitter. Yeah, did some very <laughs> bad things. Um, is a very bad person. Could you justify banning him? Yeah. Um, Chinese and Russian state media and diplomats and all of that jazz who just pump out absolute nonsense or whitewash genocide uh, for the Uyghurs. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, those... if. Like, if we're going to play the content moderation game, it is certainly strange that some of those folks are still there and the Babylon Bee gets booted for a joke. Um, That's why I think I'm, I'm a bit, I'm very sad to see that Jack Dorsey has left Twitter. I know he still, I believe, has a board seat or something, but he's not in day-to-day -day operations yeah. anymore. And you can tell from Jack Dorsey's, you know, current sort of situation, like he's a big, big Bitcoin guy now. Mm -hmm. Right. So he's uh, all in on Bitcoin, the future, the companies, you know, what would Mars say? Very, very, very bad. But he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. Um, but you could tell in his conversations, he went on the Joe Rogan podcast, he's done interviews. He is a free speech guy. And he felt, you know, being in a multi-billion dollar company that essentially the lawyers were just brought in and had to make those decisions. And I could, you could always feel that he was not comfortable doing that because he is a kind of open source, free speech, you know, let him have it kind of guy. But, yeah. you know, these types of people are not CEOs at large organizations or companies. Yeah, yeah. He, he certainly 
Um, certainly, it felt like he was trying to hold the line and would have to give in at certain points. And now it seems like the company is... is... All right, so let's go to the particulars since I know you're itching. Uh, so what did the Babylon Bee get suspended for? So they... Uh, they made a satire article that named um, a trans woman who is a politician in Pennsylvania, I believe, Woman of the Year. Um, okay, this is um, oh geez, what's uh, Rachel? I forget her Levine. Name. Uh, but yeah, Rachel Levine, who yeah. was a Pennsylvania like Secretary of Health, and now I yeah. believe is in the uh, Biden administration. I believe I so wrong? too. Yeah, I think so. And so they made that joke, obviously, in response to the, the the outrage of the NCAA, where Assistant Secretary for Health, yeah, sorry, to, where in the NCAA freestyle five hundred yard final or something, um, a trans woman who had previously competed at the NCAA level uh, as a male um, basically walked away with the competition in that event and beat. Uh, Olympic athletes and and whatnot, and it was um, it was quite strange uh, as an observer um, to see it, and the outrage has been, I mean, it's been pretty heated uh, across the board, and you have governors saying they want to step in and 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 intervene, like DeSantis, and I mean, this is where this is where I'm very bearish on DeSantis. It's like the second the internet comes up, yeah, he, he goes off into some other territory. He loses I don't know it. Why. Yeah, he loses it. And it's like, what? I mean, so regardless of what you think about um, that competitor competing in that event and competing um, alongside females, I really don't think that the appropriate response is to have the government regulate the NCAA's terms of competition. Uh, I don't think that that's beneficial. I think the league can figure it out for themselves, and they're probably going to have to have an honest conversation about what the rules are. I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually create a rule that says if you competed at this level as a, as in, as a male, you are not allowed to then compete um, as a female. Um in some senses, professional or, or the elite level of soccer has accommodated this because um, there is a uh, non-binary Canadian uh, player on the women's team. And so the ruling, I believe, with FIFA was that, well, because she she played for the women's team prior to her being non-binary, it is okay for her to continue to play for the women's team, um, which I thought was probably an appropriate decision, and it just allows for the game to continue on as it did. Um, the NCAA instance is obviously a little different uh, because you have an athlete who competed at that level um, in the other gender category, and then there are questions of um, equality, whether it's fair and all of that jazz. And then obviously you get some very bigoted responses about trans people in response to it and misgendering and all of that jazz, which is really ugly and unnecessary. I mean, we're talking about sports. Um, 
you can have a serious conversation about what the rules should be for instances like this. Um, and yeah, it's just very complicated. The only person I think I, I've seen who has got it right is the governor of Utah because he actually vetoed a bill that would like legislate on this. And he basically put out a note saying, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I don't, I don't think the government really needs to intervene here. The outrage is not matching the issue. The leagues can figure it out. Um, yeah. So the only issue with this, and I'm, I'm trying in every single way to sidestep the culture war yeah. and uh, not dip my toe of because course. you can get very deep. Uh, but <laughs> there's a specific to the U.S. There's Title IX. It's part of the federal civil rights uh, federal civil rights law. Uh, basically, it's about sex-based discrimination in any school that receives federal public funds. funding from yeah. the federal government. And this is where a lot of this stuff is legislated. It's every time we talk about free speech, you know, at Harvard on campus or something like that. It all relates to to Title IX. And there's all types of different debates of reopening that or adding amendments. And people want to add uh, particular trans rights to, to this at, at the federal level. And th- this is where it's kind of problematic is that these are... Yeah, they are, pro, you know, leagues that compete, but they still are kind of institutions of government in a way. I don't... Yeah. I, NCAA is weird because I know they had this whole court thing, uh, was it last year or two years ago, about yeah. whether or not the athletes could get paid or get endorsements and stuff, which you probably know a lot more about yes, than me. Yeah, I, followed that, quite, I followed that quite closely, and I think it was... It moved in the right direction. Um, I'm not one to say that that students or athletes were exploited but in some of these bigger name sports you would literally have their star running back um unable to accept any money living on campus off of food stamps while his jersey sales at the stadium gross like 8 million dollars and and they're oh, not yeah. allowed to compensate him at all for that or he's the cover of 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 NCAA 2022 the football game the ea sports game it's like that seemed like you should be able to monetize your likeness um accordingly i don't think that that makes you less of an amateur athlete which was the argument um the ncaa lost obviously because they wanted to retain all of those rights and they make a lot of money doing this so as a former um star-studded college athlete um i guess i know why you feel that way is that right david well i i I, star-studded is is generous to the point where it is probably not true um but uh we wouldn't have had that issue um at the CIS level for hockey when I played just because there was no revenue in it um, like there are NCAA sports. Um, because- well, I saw that Barstool was started sponsoring a bunch of people. Like they had a yep. volleyball star, yep. volleyball athletes, and you know guys playing t-ball or <laughs> I don't know what else. I don't know how those deals worked out now. I don't know if that was just for the publicity or if they're actually – Helping them out or sponsoring. I mean, I, I think know. they're probably helping them out, but I think it was probably just more because they could. So they sign them to like apparel deals and and <laughs> just wear this shirt and we'll, yeah, yeah. But all of that okay. stuff would have been prohibited. You would have lost your status. You could have been kicked out. Um, yeah, I we mean, like markets and everything. This is something that we we generally adore. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I mean, I can understand the argument from the NCAA that they don't want to pay athletes to play because then they may not be considered amateur, which is NCAA is considered the peak of amateur sport. So I can get that distinction. But not being able to make money, any money off of your name is where I'm like, well, now we're encroaching into decisions that are really not like the NCAA does not need to involve itself um, in that. And so that went up to the courts and the, the students won. Um, but it's it's been a great week here, Yael. Lots to talk about. Um, and we're going to reconvene in uh, just a, shoe, a few short days uh, in another part of the world. Indeed, yeah. And last note in the college thing, I mean, God forbid... These guys realize they don't need to go to a four-year university to do their sports, uh, <laughs> nor their education. Yes. And uh, there's all kinds of private options. So, David, look forward to it. Uh, let's chat in person next week. Yeah. Dubai it is. We'll talk to you soon. All right.